Bookworms with Hollowpox. The hunt for Morrigan Crow. Discover the magical and mysterious world of Nevermore in the spellbinding new book. Hello, this is the Fun Kids Bookworms podcast, where you get to find out about the best books from the people who write them. My name is Bex, and this week you're going to hear a chat with Andrew Petty about his brand new fact-based book. We will be checking in with the poet Martin Kishko, and we've got a reading from Clive Mantle as well. Plus, I'll be recommending a few rather brilliant books to you. But first, I did promise you a fact-based wonder from Andrew Petty, and this is what happened when I spoke to him about his brand new book. So I am joined right now, down the line, by Andrew Petty. Hey, Andrew, how are you doing? Hey, I'm very well, thank you. I'm thrilled because I got to read your book and it's a joy. Listified is your brand new book. Um, It's Britannica's 300 lists that will blow your mind. And you know what? It did. Like, you know, job done for you. Tick, tick, tick. (laughs) My mind was blown. It was brilliant. It's so great. You must be so happy with it. Oh, I'm re- yeah, I'm really, really pleased with it. Particularly as, you know, I spent a lot of last summer writing and researching it, which was brilliant fun. But actually part, I mean, and I think there's hopefully a lot of great lists and a lot of amazing facts. That was the bit that I contrib- contributed. But also I think that, you know, the illustrator, Andres Lozano, Spanish illustrator, the illustrations are brilliant. The cover's great. It's designed beautifully. So yeah, I was really, really excited and kind of, yeah, delighted and surprised when I were like you when I first got a copy in front of me. So I think it's a, I think it's a really beautifully produced book, a great present. I think. It really is. It's a proper beaut, and it's a book to get lost in because, as you say in introduction, um, you don't have to kind of read it from front to back. You can kind of pick and choose which bits you read, and you don't have to be in any particular order. Exactly. We were quite. I was quite kind of slightly inspired by you know the Guinness World of Records, which is another great fun book that I always used to read when I was a kid. And it's got to get the same quality where loads of amazing facts, loads of interesting things. And yeah, you can dip into it for a few minutes. You can read it in any order. But I suppose the difference is we're here. There's a lot, I suppose, a lot more information. It's not just amazing records. There's, well, there's all, all manner of things. Um, so it was, but we wanted to be that that kind of, yeah, that brilliant bite-sized reading experience that you you sit down for two minutes and then suddenly you've been reading it for an hour and you haven't even noticed it was one of those books you're right and also um so i i like space but it's not my favorite thing in the world ever but still i found your book i was still reading that whole of the space section being like oh my goodness is this true and you've made it really accessible <laughs> as well oh well thank you that was definitely it i, I sort of saw my role um my main job is uh, as a journalist so i've spent a lot of years writing and being an editor at newspapers and magazines um and and so i sort of thought my kind of mission for this book was to be like a kind of an investigative journalist, but for children, for kids, you know, for the readers. So rather than be like a kind of school textbook or encyclopedia that, you know, has to tell you everything, they're great, but it's all kind of laid out. I sort of, right, I just want to focus on the really interesting things. So so space was a good example where one of the things, a popular question my daughter asked me was we were watching the footage of astronauts jumping on the moon. You know, how you, if, if you're on the moon because of the lack of gravity. Mm-hmm. You can jump really high. You can probably jump as high as a, a ceiling in a house on Earth. And so her question to me was, well, that's amazing. But, you know, how high can you jump on Jupiter or Saturn or you know, can you jump at all? So I thought, wow, that is a really good question. So that I researched that and that became one of the lists in the book. So as I say, although you can jump three meters on the moon, which is pretty cool, uh, there's a moon of Saturn called Enceladus, where if you jump there, you would jump 40 meters in the air. 
So that means you could jump over like your house, probably about four houses stacked on top of each other. And you would stay in the in the air from one jump for a minute. Um, so that's the best place. If you're, if you're jumping in the solar system this weekend, Enceladus, <laughs> Moon of Saturn is the place to do it. Well, I have to say, one of the things, apart from that being an amazing fact, you've also proved to me that you may owe your daughter some royalties. Would that be right? <laughs> that's true. She's actually <laughs> credited. There's a list at the back where I thank all the people who helped me write the book and create the book. And she's in there amongst my other editors because she's eight. And it was really helpful to have, you know, children and young readers have such brilliant perspective on things. You know, they ask original questions. They look at things in a different way. They're really smart. You can't fool them. I'm sure all teachers know that, you know, they, they, they catch you out. If, you, if your explanation isn't clear and they follow up with great questions. So definitely I, was, I tried out a lot of lists on her. And all the way through, I asked her, would you find this interesting? And does this make it clear how, you know, have I explained it clearly? So I really hope and write everything about it, the facts, the way it's laid out, the design, the illustrations, really wanted to make something that made, that really appealed to kind of, you know, to young readers. It really, it, I mean, it appeals also to grown-ups like me. I loved it. It was interesting. Um, <laughs> honestly, I was flicking through like, oh my goodness, what this? So, like you say, it's not like a school textbook. It's not the kind of generic, like, this is the tallest thing. This is the smallest thing. You've got so many more bits to it, like more questions that you've asked. You've gone a bit deeper uh, into those bits. One of the things I found out, which I loved, uh, according to your book, I think I am more likely to become a saint than win the lottery, I think, was one of the uh, facts I learned. That's true. So yeah, one of the lists is the odds of loads of different things happening to you. What are the actual chances? And one of the things you realize, like you're you're more likely to die by, uh, be killed by a coconut landing on your head, which is pretty unlikely, than you are to win the lottery. And there's loads of other, th- yeah, loads of other things. It makes you, one of the lessons of that list is, you're really, really, really unlikely to win the lottery. Yeah. So maybe yeah. you should spend that money on the lottery ticket on something else. Too late, Andrew, it's already gone. <laughs> <laughs> You've already spent your money. <laughs> But it, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm really glad you felt that because I, we definitely wanted this. We want the list to be really funny and quirky, and to you know, one of the another list actually is to get brilliant children's questions. Another um, child asked me this to, to include in this: like, what is the smelliest thing in the universe? It's like that only a child would want to know that answer that question. So one of the lists is the the eight smelliest things in the universe, and one of them actually, I did in my research, I discovered that scientists have have proved. Um, they found a particular type of cheese and they created a machine which they called the uh, electronic nose. And the machine helped them prove that this cheese is called Vieux Boulogne cheese, it's French, is the smelliest in the, in the universe. Wow. So it was, it was great. I felt like the questions came from children and it was my job to go out there and, and find the answers. But we definitely, actually another thing you, you might, I hope you enjoyed was as I was writing it, there were so many other great bits of facts and information and jokes and funny stories that I wanted to include there wasn't always space for them like kind of in the main list yes. so I was saying to the editor I said I want to get all this great stuff in and they came up with a brilliant idea it wasn't my idea to have these footnotes these extra bits of information and jokes and funny things at the bottom of the pages so yeah I really tried I hope it, <laughs> to cram as much cool stuff onto every single page Oh my goodness. I mean, you get your money's worth because I do love a footnote, I have to say, and that didn't uh, that didn't slip by <laughs> me. I did like it a lot because, and you make it funny, you give kind of like uh, puns and, and fun titles of all of the lists as well. Um, it must have taken you a long time to research, right? To get all of this together. It must have taken you absolutely ages. This is the ultimate homework. It, it was. It was like, a, it was like a four month homework assignment. And I did it last summer, really. So it was actually, you know, during the lockdown where 
you know, everyone was homeschooling and at home. So it was a kind of a perfect assignment because, you know, it was like you, you I wasn't, we weren't going out so much. You didn't go on holiday. So I thought, right, I'm going to get into this and really get into all these facts. And it, yeah, it took me sort of about four months to write the first draft. And then for the rest of the year with all the great editors and the, the publishers to kind of make the book and work on the illustrations. Um, but it was brilliant fun to do. In fact, you'll see at the back of the book, because it's an Encyclopedia Britannica book, you know, they are brilliant uh, researchers and every fact they have a special team of people checking all the facts so they're all correct. And in the back, there's four or five pages of selective sources. So if you enjoy, if the readers like a particular list you like and you want to know more, if you go to the back of the book, you can see some of the articles and books that I read to research them. And so you can go off and discover more information and, and, and see and read some of the things that I did when I was doing my research. It is. Uh, it's such a great book. If you're listening right now and you're thinking, I need to pep up my homework a little bit. I need to add some extra facts <laughs> that my uh, friends won't have found online. This is the book to do that, because like you say, you not only give the facts, but you also give the extra details of, of where to get them as well. What was your favourite list in the book? Oh, that's a good question. Because I've got, I mean, I've got those 300. I... <laughs> that's a good question. No one's ever asked me that before. Really? um yeah no it's funny they asked me so many questions about the individual lists the ones that people liked um so I think that's a really good question I think the ones from from a research point of view when you're as a writer is the ones where you didn't expect the answer before you set off to research them Mm -hmm. so one of them was um I saw a funny story in the newspaper about um it was somewhere in America where basically frogs had fallen out of the sky it had literally rained frogs wow and this can happen sometimes. I think with like typhoons or hurricanes, they kind of scoop the, the frogs up from a lake and then they drop them somewhere else. So if you're in the town somewhere else, you look up and there's literally frogs falling on top of you. And I thought, wow, that's interesting and kind of funny. Uh, why don't I do a list of like amazing, bizarre, strange things that have fallen out of the sky? And when I looked into it, there's loads of crazy things. So we've got frogs, of course, and then fish and golf balls. And I think the, the most bizarre one from my favorite bits of the book is frozen iguanas. Wow. So in I found that in Miami, iguanas, which live, some leave, live wild there, live, they, they live up in trees. And because they're cold blooded, if it suddenly has a cold snap, they basically, they don't freeze, but they, they can't move anymore. So they kind of like, it's like going to sleep almost, but they can't move their limbs. So it means they can't grip the trees anymore. So they fall out of the trees. So you have iguanas falling everywhere. And this is such a common problem now in Florida, but they have it on the on the news, on the weather report. The weather people will say they will say iguana warning There's going to be frozen <laughs> iguanas raining here next week. This, and you can look this up. This really happens. There was a story in The New York Times about it. So, yeah, the frozen iguanas were my favorite, one of my favorite details. I love it. I love that's where your head went to as well. You're like, I must make a list out of this. <laughs> this is what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> Oh, Andrew, I genuinely, I love the book. Uh, thank you so much for talking to us. Listified, I believe, is out right now and everybody should go and grab it, right? Oh, definitely, definitely. I, I think you, as like you, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Lovely stuff. Thank you so much to Andrew for that. I had a, a just a wonderful time reading his book. Every page you turn, you learn something else brilliant and awesome. Uh, now, speaking of things that are brilliant and awesome, I spoke to Martin Kishko recently. He's an incredible poet, and he helped me to launch a big new Fun Kids competition. And he spoke to me about his book, King Frank and the Knights of the EcoQuest. Right now, I am joined by incredible poet Martin Kishko. Hello, Martin. How are you doing? Hello. Great green greetings to you, Bex. Well, I'm glad you've brought your greenness into this because <laughs> you are the author of King Frank and the Knights of the EcoQuest, which a lot of our listeners will know about. You've written all of that thing yourself. 
Well, yeah, and it's taken me on a real uh, journey, a real eco-quest as well to write it. You know, all, all 15 episodes taking these nights on a journey through climate change and all the obstacles that they meet when they leave the kingdom to find that source of pure clean water that they're looking for, the Fountain of Frank. Yeah, that was the big uh, arc of the story, I guess. And we loved having it on Fun Kids. It was such an amazing kind of epic poem. How long did it take you to write a poem that long? Yeah, well, you know, it. I originally wrote the verse for the book version, and the book version is actually coming out in two weeks' time. It'll be published in two weeks' time. It's taken us nearly three years to get it um, to get it published because um, it needed a lot of illustrations, and the illustrations by um, my illustrator Sarah von from Lever are just hilarious. And uh, but they're they're really. They really in so much humorous and comedic detail, you know, uh, that it's just taken a long time to get them right. But that comes out in two weeks' time. And it's a much, it's kind of a shorter version of the one that we did for radio. The one that we did for radio, I really had to expand the story, you know, give more kind of uh, adventures for the nights and get them into, into more tricky situations and so on. So I guess it took the best part of um, three months to write the radio version. Wow. I mean, it is very, um, I mean, it's, it's super epic, isn't it? Because it's every episode was, there was quite a lot to it. And of course it was all in rhyme. Uh, did you ever have a word where you had no idea what to rhyme it with, but you knew you wanted to include that word? Oh, so, so difficult, you know, because we think that we've got a lot of rhymes in the English language, but actually we don't, you know, and of course, if you're writing an epic uh, poem like this, and it was 25,000 words in rhyming couplets. So you've also got to be careful not to kind of use the same rhymes over and over and over again. And that what's, that's what becomes challenging. So, you know, as a poet, you have to kind of find, find really interesting ways of changing the words, the position of the words in the lines so that you're not using the same rhymes all the times and you're choosing other kinds of rhymes. So uh, a real challenge, a real challenge for me, but I wanted it to be the world's first eco epic rhyme for children and so that was the um that was my challenge and uh, and i really enjoyed every minute of, of writing it and going on that journey with the knights as well i mean you did fit that brief entirely it was an epic eco poem um what what is it like being a green poet what does that mean to you well you know i've always been interested in uh in you know our planet, in our creatures, and the environment. When I was a boy, I was always out in the fields, you know, chasing butterflies, you know, looking at birds, collecting caterpillars and insects, and all that kind of thing. And um, my father really, um, you know, he he was really keen, and I took an interest in it. And then, uh, actually, about in my early twenties, I I really spent the rest of my life from then on being a composer of music. And as you know, I composed the music for this epic poem as well. And um, But most of my work as a composer was for the um, uh, for, for natural history films. So I found myself, you know, writing music for lots of films about um, creatures that we were trying to save and about the environment. Then, um, in about 2010, I decided I was going to write the, the, the world's first collection of green poetry for children. And that book was called Green Poems for a Blue Planet. And uh, I wrote a, another book after that called Verse for the Earth, another collection of poetry. 
And, you know, something really interesting happened. Um, I needed to go and people wanted to interview me about the book and so on. And I, and I went to do interviews and suddenly I found myself performing the poetry as well, although that wasn't my original intention to become a performance poet. But then somebody came up to me at a performance and they said, hey, so you must be the UK's green poet then. Hmm. And, and suddenly audiences kind of chose me um, as the green poet. And that's really how the name stuck. And since then, you know, I developed a one-man show based on the books. And I now take that show all around the world. So I was performing and doing workshops for children in um, China just a few years ago and three times in India. And last year, the beginning of the year in Dubai. Wow. Because, of course, when people hear green poet, they might think, you know, you've been painted green. But it does mean, of course, you are super eco-friendly. And it's such a good tagline. Like, it's quite a nice way of introducing yourself as well. Yeah. Well, there's always the first time to be painted green, isn't there? <laughs> we'll get it in your next show. We'll paint you, paint your face. It's just wonderful, you know, to work with young people all around the world that are interested in environmental issues and interested in saving the planet. And, you know, how I work with them is like this, is that, you know, what I say is that there is great power in poetry because if you want to get a message across, if you want to get a, your concerns about the planet across to someone, then, you know, poetry is like, it's like sending a text or sending a, a sort of a postcard message uh, from your holiday to someone because you can write a poem and it can be really short and 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 it can be really memorable because it's short and the person that hears it will remember it because you've managed to get your message into such a few lines of verse. So poetry can be very, very powerful. Now, speaking of working with kids and powerful poetry, this leads me very nicely into our poetry joust that I believe you're helping us with. Yeah, uh, well, you know, it was it was it was um, when the idea came to me in the radio series, you know, that the um, that we'd be doing this kind of medieval joust with knights, but but they're not only on their horses carrying their lances, but they're also uh, carrying their poetry, which they're, you know, uh, firing the verse off to each other to see who comes up with the best verse. I thought, yeah, it'd be fantastic if we could have our own poetry joust competition. So tell me a little bit more about it, because our listeners love writing poems, but what kind of poem do they need to write here? Well, you know, they, 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 if they've listened to the series or they listen to the podcasts of King Frank, they could choose to write a poem um, like the ones that exist within the epic poem. So, for example, in some of the episodes, uh, like in the River of Pooh episode, episode five, um, the, the knights have to write a Chloe Hue. In episode 10, they have to write, in the Impossible Puzzle episode, they have to write a Kenin. Uh, and an acrostic. And in the final episode, episode 15, they have to write what's called a double dactyl. Now, it, it, it shows you in the, in the radio, in the radio episodes, you know, it, it explains, the Knights explains how that's done. So, you know, our listeners could write a poem like that, or could they, they could write any poem that they would like. And maybe they would like to write a poem, a green poem, you know, a poem about saving our planet, our creatures, our environment. Or perhaps they might like to write a poem about someone that goes on a, a quest or on an eco quest and the adventures that they have. So we're looking for poems that are about kind of environmental stuff like helping the planet, and they can be in literally any format ever. I think so. I think so. You can either choose a format that already exists in our episodes or just choose one of your own. 
And, um, you know, it doesn't have to be a long poem. It can just be short, you know, but, but try and also maybe try and create a, a bit of humor uh, in it as well. Because although we're talking about, you know, uh, saving our planet and we're talking about, you know, protecting our environment and our creatures, um, you know, we have to be careful sometimes not, not, not to get, you know, it, to make the, the thing too sad or too depressing. And that's why with my work, I try to get my message across about saving the planet by using uh, comedy as well, by using humour in my poetry. It is a really fun poem. Like the whole epic poem, it is so fun and it makes it accessible as well, doesn't it? That's the important thing. You want to listen. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the, it. you want to get the message across. And, and, I, and I really believe that... Um, you know, humour can be such an important tool that enables us to do that. Now, of course, the most important thing, let's face it, I mean, as much as people love writing poems, they also love winning stuff. So what are we giving away here? Okay, well, we're going to give five copies of the newly published King Frank and the Knights of the EcoQuest book uh, to our first five winners. And then we're going to give five copies of the Green Poems for a Blue Planet book, which is a collection of my green poems, and those are all is illustrated by Wallace and Gromit creator Nick Park. And we're going to give those five to the runners-up. Oh, that's amazing. So there's quite a lot of chances to win some pretty good swag here. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. They're going to have a great time um, reading green poetry and having a laugh. <laughs> And tell me, I know that a lot of our listeners will be thinking, hmm, how can I get Martin's attention? I believe you're going to be judging these poems. So what uh, what top tips do you have? Well, if, if you don't have to make the uh, poems rhyme in poetry, but I would be interested in, in uh, seeing some uh, rhyme in poetry if you felt that, uh, if listeners felt that young poets were able uh, to do that. As I said, I would like to hear something with a little bit of, uh, of comedy, a little bit of humour, uh, in it. And, and maybe you might want to write about something, you know, that really care, that you really care about, something that's personal to you. You know, it might be, um, it might be a place that you know. It might be some, some forests or fields that you know, or it might be some, some particular, um, uh, creatures, you know, that, uh, are endangered that you, that you're concerned about. You might want to write about that. So those are the kinds of things I'd be interested in, 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 in hearing about. Brilliant stuff. Well, uh, good to have those top tips there, Martin. Uh, thank you so much for chatting to us. And we should say everybody can get all the details at the Fun Kids website, funkidslive.com, and they can listen back, more importantly, to get some uh, kind of inspiration to King Frank and the Knights of the EcoQuest while they're there. Is that right? That's correct. And thank you all so much uh, for listening and going on this, this King Frank quest uh, with me as well. Great green gratitude for that. All right, I did promise you a reading, didn't I? And uh, this is from a chat I had with Clive Mantle a little while ago now, and it was from his newest book in the Freddie Malone series, In the City of Fortune and Flames. Take it away, Clive. Chapter one. Connor stared into the searing spotlights and felt his mouth go completely dry. A salty drop of sweat stung his right eye. He was transfixed. Unable to move, his mind was completely blank. His focus changed to the mass ranks of his schoolmates and their shuffling parents who stared back at him. Most of them were willing him to find the first words of a sentence. Any sentence. Others sniggered at the large, bewildered boy, dressed as the Pied Piper of Hamlin, surrounded by twenty embarrassed rats. 
Connor opened his mouth again and the audience leaned forward, hoping to catch the first utterance from the star of the drama group's Christmas production. Miss Dufay was whispering his opening line repeatedly at increasing volume from the wings until Connor remained the only person on stage or in the audience who didn't know what he was meant to say. Good citizens of Hamlin, I hear you have a problem, the director eventually called at full volume. Connor couldn't actually hear anything because his ears were blocked by a huge false beard. This was a last-minute addition by Mrs. Spencer to try and make him look older. She had stuck it on way too tightly. That and the huge green hat, which covered the bits the beard didn't, ensured Connor was deaf to any prompt. In a complete panic, his thoughts darted around erratically, exactly when he needed to focus. Into his mind came the image of his best friend's magical map. Connor pictured it on Freddy's bedroom wall. If only it would appear in the school hall. If only. Connor would leap into the vortex to another time and place. Any time and place, but here, on this stage, right now. Connor felt a sharp dig in his back. He turned to see the leading rat, Casey, mouthing at him. It sounded like, Then the rat looked at the audience, raised her huge painted eyebrows, and shook her head. Connor could definitely hear the wave of laughter that followed. This was all so unfair. He'd only joined the group in October because Ruby had signed up. She'd left after two weeks citing artistic differences with Miss Dufay. Great. What am I doing? Concentrate. Connor stared down at the recorder. He'd only started learning it five weeks ago. Play something. Connor lifted the instrument and with trembling breath, he improvised a tune composed entirely of squeaks and squawks to the amazement of the audience rats and townspeople of Hamlin. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw Miss Dufay burying her head in her hands. Connor's stage debut had got off to a disastrous start. Okay, it's time to recommend some amazing books for you right now. There's lots of new ones out and about. Um, we have had loads sent to Fun Kids, so thank you so much to everybody who's been sending us some lovely, lovely books. We had Freddy's Amazing Bakery, the Sticky Cake Race, all about Freddy in a bit of a kind of adventure, I would say, that's akin to the Wacky Races meets the Great British Bake Off. It's pretty cool. It's all about a big pedal-based competition where he has to bake and also race at the same time. We also had The Children of Noisy Village by Minnie Gray and Rules for Vampires by Sarah Oglevy. I cannot wait to read those books. But one of the best books around right now is Hollowpox. Uh, in it, you can discover the magical and mysterious world of Nevermore. Morrigan Crow in it, she's determined, daring and ready for a new challenge to step into her destiny as a wondersmith, master the mysterious wretched arts and control the power that threatens to consume her. She and her friends are really proud to be in their second year of attendance at the Magical Wondrous Society, and together they reckon they can face anything. But then a strange illness takes hold of Nevermore, turning its rather peaceful animals into mindless, vicious animals on the hunt. As victims of the holopox start to multiply, panic spreads, the city she loves is in danger, I would say, and Morrigan realises it's up to her to find a cure for the holopox, even if it puts her and the rest of Nevermore 
in more danger than ever before. Can Morrigan control the power threatening to consume her? Or will she put all of Nevermore in danger? Now, this brilliant book is out right now. It's so good. You can head over to funkidslive.com to read my review. Hollowpox, The Hunt for Morrigan Crow is the third book in the Spellbinding series from Jessica Townsend. Perfect. If you're nine plus, if you're fans of his dark materials, you're going to love that book. And that's pretty much all the time I've got this week in Bookworms. Thank you so much to Andrew Petty, to Martin Kishko, to Clive Mantle, and to you for listening. If you've got a book that you want to tell me all about, or an author you think I should chat to, it's super easy to get in touch. Just go to funkidslive.com or leave a five-star review wherever it is you're listening to this with a little note to me. I'll see you super soon. Remember to rate, review, and follow this podcast wherever it is you're listening. Bye! Bookworms with Hollowpox, the hunt for Morrigan Crow. Discover the magical and mysterious world of Nevermore in the spellbinding new book. <laughs>